I have a faith-based self-assessment question for you. Christian, how strong is your faith? Now, you will find your faith being challenged in these times. You will find your faith being tested. You will come to the realization of how strong your faith is when adversity comes to you. Now, in the past several years, probably two or three, we have seen faith be tested. I've talked to many Christians and their faith has been challenged. Now, we must make a distinction when we're speaking to Christians about faith because everyone has faith to some degree. We're talking about a saving faith, a salvific faith. Now, when we speak of faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, the conviction of things hoped for and the assurance of of things unseen. That's a biblical definition. And if you are in Jesus Christ, you have a saving faith. And this kind of faith brings forth convictions. It brings forth beliefs. It enables you to believe the plans of God for you, the plans of God for this world, the plans and the will of God found in Scripture. But this kind of faith must be accompanied by trust. And there is a trust that must accompany such a faith. Because a faith must be exercised, this kind of a faith. Now, it's important to know about faith. Where do you find faith in the Scriptures? Great chapter, Hebrews 11. And I know you all pretty well, and I know that you can tell me where to find faith in the Word of God. You may know the Scriptural references. You may know about faith. You may know the theology of faith. You may know the principles of faith. But brethren, there are times when the principles of faith and the practice don't necessarily meet. You see, this faith that you have must be exercised because there are situations that you will encounter and currently are encountering on this side of eternity that may leave you perplexed. They may leave you wondering. They may leave you questioning God. Because you don't understand what's going on and you, quite frankly, may not necessarily agree with what is going on. Now, particularly when it comes to the prevalence of evil that we see in this world. It's as if evil is increasing right before our very eyes and right in front of our eyes in this very nation of America. We see the prevalence of evil. We see justice being perverted particularly when we see when the Lord remains silent, as it appears, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he is, we read this morning. Have you found yourself, honestly, maybe questioning God recently, the past couple of years, maybe more so than years ago, about these external circumstances that we are seeing? Maybe even crying out, Oh, Lord! How long, O Lord, will this continue? Lord, you've got to intervene here, Lord. What's going on here? Lord, do something. Does this describe you? It may describe you to some extent, but this describes our central human character today in our sermon, which is the prophet Habakkuk. Who is this man? He's a contemporary of Jeremiah and Zephaniah, possibly even Ezekiel and Daniel. And he's prophesying in this nation of Judah during King Josiah's, the latter part of King Josiah's reign, 640 B.C. to 609. And in this letter, we are going to see the prophet's journey. This is a journey he's on in faith. And me and you are also on a journey in faith. And he saw the situation right around him that perplexed him. He saw what's going on in Judah. Let's look at the background. The covenant nation Judah has found prosperity under Josiah. They have now come out of a prosperous time, a moral time, into an immoral time. Spiritual decline under a wicked king named Joachim, who is, oddly enough, Josiah's son. And Judah is now plagued by corruption, iniquity, and violence. And justice has essentially disappeared from this nation. And this deeply disturbed the prophet for two reasons. Because he understands the covenant stipulations at that time for this nation. As per Deuteronomy 28, if you are obedient 
there is blessings. Collectively, as a nation, if you are disobedient, there is curses. And he understands God's holy and righteous character that we read about as well. The Lord cannot approve an iniquity and wickedness. And this led him to question God. And this led him to be challenged in his own personal faith. This is a man with faith. This is a man called by God. Yet he's challenged in his own personal faith. Now we're going to look at, we get to the last three verses. But first we look at the beginning of this journey in faith. As we will look at the culmination at the end, we look now at the beginning. The road to this faith that eventually rejoices begins very bumpy. Let's take a look. In chapters 1 and 2, there's a series of questions and answers. I'll just go over it for you. If you're in one, you could stay there. The prophet cries out for God's divine intervention. He's bewildered and wondering guy why God is allowing this chaos to go on in Judah. God seems silent. God seems inactive. It's as if God is not hearing his prayer. I cry out violence, he says, and you do not save. You make me see iniquity. You cause me to look on iniquity. So the prophet now expresses in chapter 1 a frustration and a confusion. And this is the first series of questions. How long will you permit this iniquity? And in verse 5 of chapter 1, the prophet will get an answer. He will get an answer that he's not expecting, and he will get an answer that he doesn't like. And sometimes this happens. This is Yahweh's answer. Look among the nations, see and wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I am raising up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. They're a wicked and impetuous people to exercise my judgment on Judah. Wait a minute. Time out. You're going to raise up a more wicked people to exercise your judgment on your covenant nation? This further perplexed him. Who are these people, the Chaldeans? Well, they're extremely wicked. They're idolatrous. They steal. They're violent. They take captives. They're like a terrorist organization. They laugh and they scoff at authority. How could this be that God is going to raise up these people? Now, some may say, okay, the Lord is going to allow this to happen to judge Judah. No, he's not going to allow it. He's raising them up. The sovereign God is raising up this, these wicked people. You see the dilemma that this prophet is seeing? First, he's saying, Lord, do something. Chasten Judah. And the reason he wants them chastened is so they will turn back to the Lord's ways. But he didn't ask for this. And it's a greater dilemma. How could you use a more wicked to judge a less wicked, if you will? Now the prophet will ask another series of questions after a second series in chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And he gets another answer. And now the prophet is coming to a place of acceptance. He understands what is happening. Whether he agrees with it or not is another story. But he sees. God has answered him. And there's two things for us to note in chapter 2, 2 to 4. What does God tell him to do? Write down what I'm giving to you, like many prophets. Write this down, what I am revealing. Wait patiently for it to pass, because it will come to pass in my time. You may not understand it. You may not agree with it. And it's like that for us so often. Because we must understand Things that there are things that we can't understand because God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And He's going to tell him, give him another principle. In chapter 2, verse 4. In the meantime, how do you live? How should he live? How do you live when you see things that seem to make no sense? The righteous, the people of God, must live by faith. The righteous must walk by faith or their faithfulness. What does this mean? The righteous person must have a steadfast reliance on God and His promises. We continue the background. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 20. God reveals to the prophet, I'm going to judge these Chaldeans. I'm using them for my purpose. They're not going to prosper through their wickedness. 
they will be judged. And it's a good reminder for us that the prosperity of the wicked will cease. Just as Satan has an expiration date, so do the wicked. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is sovereign over all. And there are many who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and think they somehow could escape the judgment. Oh, he's not my God. Yes, he is. You may not acknowledge him as God, but he is sovereign over all. Now, it leads us to chapter 3. And we see in the conclusion of the book, this chapter, it's a prayer. And in many respects, it's like a psalm. Now, the prophet will acknowledge the Lord and also make a request. In in chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to make a request to the Lord. Pray. In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And the following sequence from 2 to 15 acts as if it's a highlight film. It's like the best of Yahweh. The things that he's going to see, the mighty deeds in the past, God's judgment on his enemies, his deliverance of his own, how he has, in times past, worked on behalf of his company, covenant people. He's going to also see and be reminded of the covenant law given at Mount Sinai, the request, the, the conquest of Canaan, and the exodus, the deliverance from Egypt. And we see in verses 2 to 15, God's sovereignty over nature, God's sovereignty over history, and God's sovereignty over salvation. So this vision given to the prophet is pretty overwhelming. And it's going to affect the prophet in more ways than one. I draw your attention now, if you turn to page 3, 935, verse 16, if you're not already there. Let's just look at verse 16 before we make it into our text. The prophet is physically shaken with this encounter he has with God, but we will see that the prophet is spiritually strengthened. Because he now realizes what God would do. We draw your attention to verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones. And in my place I tremble. Because I must wait patiently for the day of distress. For the people to arise and who will invade us. The prophet is coming to the realization of what is now going to happen. What's going to happen? God will redeem his faithful elect, his faithful remnant in the nation of Judah. We take this big journey through Habakkuk and we cover it to see about this faith. That's what's going to happen. And might I remind you, there is always a remnant throughout the world. God has a remnant in all civilizations, at all times, in all countries. And God fights and cares for his remnant. That's number one. We see that God will judge the Chaldeans. We looked at that in chapter 2. But now God will judge Judah. And now the prophet comes to the culmination of this journey in faith in verses 3, in chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And he comes to this place of a faith that rejoices. And to have this faith, there is a trust accompanied with it. Let's read our text. Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, And there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like the hind's feet and makes me walk in high places. For the choir director on my stringed instruments. So three headings for the text today. Verse 17, the revelation. Difficult times will come. Difficult times have come to Judah. Difficult times have come to America. Difficult times have come. The second heading, chapter 3, verse 18, the response. Though difficult times come to those who have saving faith, 
Those who have saving faith can rejoice. And verse 18b to 19, the reason, the reason you can rejoice. The God of salvation gives strength to his people to endure. Let's look at verse 17, the revelation. Difficult times have come. Let's look at some of the images that we see in verse 17. The fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit. A fig tree, there be no fruit, though yields of the olive should fail. So we have a fig tree, we have fruit, we have olive. We see that the fields will produce no food. And though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. We have to understand, first of all, contextually, this is an agrarian society. This is agriculture. This is how they lived. This is economically how they even prospered. So this depiction here of a lack. There is now going to be a famine as they will be invaded. And they will be under the wrath of God as well. There will be economic hardship. The economy in Judah was based exclusively on this agriculture and we see livestock. And this will affect the prophet. He is a resident of Judah. Now, some of the terms we see here are representative of what God would bless. In Deuteronomy 28, particularly verse 4, Blessed be be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. This is God giving the covenant stipulations. And the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. That's obedience. There is prosperity. And the disobedience here, Deuteronomy 28.18, all of the things just mentioned, there will be a barren. There will be a lack. And the flock will be cut off from the fold. There will be no herds in the stalls. So, livestock and agriculture, signs of covenant blessing. So judgment has come to Judah. This would be a form of God's consequential judgment. This is a form of judgment of sowing and reaping. This is a collective judgment. This is not an individual judgment. Comparatively speaking, how does this relate to America? Does it even relate to America? Well, difficult times have come to America. And I would believe that we are under God's consequential judgment. After coming out of a somewhat relative or prosperous time, we see now iniquity abounding. We see lawlessness all around. Justice is now perverted. Now, America is not a covenant nation. and I don't believe any nation at this point is a covenant nation. I believe people are covenant people. But as we look at this contextually, America has experienced great blessings in the past. There has not been a nation like the United States. But I want to remind you, it is God, the sovereign God, who, as we read in Job 12.23, makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. How do we relate this to Judah? Well, there's something called this consequential wrath. We see a Romans 1 Sort of judgment. Well, God gives people over to their sins. It's basically the Lord taking his restraint off of people, a collective society. And if the Lord ever took his hand off any society fully, you would see more chaos than we typically see. Now, we do not have the issues that they had in Judah, but there are some similarities here. And as a general principle for any nation at any time, Proverbs 14, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We currently have rulers now in place that have not made the country any more moral, any more righteous, and for the most part, they are godless. And they have rewarded wickedness. And maybe you, like the prophets, say, how long, O Lord? What's going on here, O Lord? Now, I think there's something to be said It's not a covenant nation. Is America a Christian nation? No, but I think there's some Judeo-Christian roots, certainly. And I think there's something to be said when a leader takes a government office and places his hand on a Bible. I think that speaks volumes, personally. So, what does the future hold 
For a nation like this, that's under God's consequential wrath. Let's look at America. What does the future hold for America? I don't know. I'm not going to give you a prophecy, okay? I promise. Glenn wanted me to do that, but I said no. Let's look at a couple of scenarios, okay? The nation continues to ebb and flow. It will see some hard times economically, morally. It kicks back up and back and forth, and this goes on for 500 years. I wouldn't be surprised. There's another scenario that this iniquity just continues to get worse, worse, and worse. And like a rubber band, it snaps, and there is a judgment on America that we can't imagine, and America is no more. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know. I hope not. A third scenario, and would bring me joy. I think it would bring you joy, too. That the, the, the sovereign God, the mighty God, the merciful God, in his wrath, he remembers mercy, and he pours out his spirit to this country. And hearts would change. Hearts would come to the truth, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord. And there would be a revival. Okay? That would bring us much joy. But the principle we see, if any one of these scenarios comes to pass, there is a principle that we're seeing today in the text. Whether there be recession or revival, yet shall we rejoice in the God of our salvation. We should not be greatly affected by external realities. Our joy must be different. Our joy is focused on something different than the external realities of, of prospering and, and, and things as the world, as the world sees things, we ought not to see things that way. We ought to have a different mindset. So how shall we respond? Well, I told you. The response. Despite difficult times, those who have a saving faith, those who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, can rejoice. Verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk now, this journey is now coming to a culmination. And understand something, brethren. This faith that rejoices did not happen overnight. This came over time. Now, change has come to Judah. It's not what it was. It is not the prophet's best case scenario. And change has come to Habakkuk as well. This journey in faith that started out with grief, disappointment, questioning God, is now culminating in rejoicing. His state of mind has changed. His heart has changed. He's no longer wrestling with the God of his salvation. And we see a trust. To have this faith that rejoices is an exercise in trust in the God of his salvation. Though the fig tree has not blossomed, this prophet's faith has blossomed. Praise God. I will rejoice in spite of the situation. In spite of the external realities. Now, we see this word for joy in Hebrew, alaz, and it's a triumphant rejoicing. It's a state of being glad. J.I. Packer notes something about joy. Quote, joy is a condition that is experienced, but is more than a feeling. It's primarily a state of mind, and I agree with that. Not wavering because of external circumstances. Not necessarily rejoicing in the circumstances, but... There is a scripture that always pops up all the time when we are going through these circumstances. A very quoted scripture, James 1, 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the NASB would say endurance. That's the ESV. The New King James would say patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. A faith that rejoices. Where this prophet comes to, he comes to a place and he must learn a steadfastness. This is what the result of all of this is. When you rejoice in the God of his salvation, he now has a patience. 
He now has a trust. He now has this endurance. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's not something that you could flip on and off. We have a part to play in this, but this is something that God does. And He does it through circumstances. We see that He has grown in His faith. And He had to wait. He had to trust. He had to be patient. He had to obey. And He had to walk by His faith. As He comes to this place of sober recognition. Chapter 3, that prayer made him realize and see God for who he was, the God of his salvation, the mighty God. And it's important that we reflect. When we're going through situations that challenge our faith, when we reflect on what God has done in the past, in the Scriptures, in your life, God has done amazing things in your life. He saved you. He gave you a great salvation. And might I remind you, That Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of this faith. This gift of faith that has been given. Because it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man boast. Now, it's wise to look back on the journey. But we must also reflect on the future. You must also reflect on the present and the future. Now, faith and hope have a relationship. And what has God given you as well? Christian, you've been born again to a living hope. And what awaits you? An inheritance, undefiled, kept for you, reserved for you in heaven. A great inheritance. So your future is amazing and the best is yet to come. Now, we must understand that difficult times will come. This doesn't erase the economic hardship that that, this prophet is going to deal with and the nation's going to deal with. And certainly we do not have, uh, we may have a recession, but we do not have anything that would equal Judah in terms of economic hardship. But nevertheless, there's a difference here in how we may respond. It doesn't mean that we may not be saddened when we see what's happening around us externally. It doesn't mean that. You see, brethren, there is a time to rejoice. There is a time to mourn. And very often we see that in Ecclesiastes 3. When I read the Psalms, I'm originally from Brooklyn, and I've never been on the cyclone. You know what the cyclone is, the roller coaster? But there are times when I read the Psalms when I feel like I'm on the cyclone. Because there are those times when we do not feel joy, but we see that over time, And through your journey, this kind of faith comes with a trust in Jesus Christ. Now, there is a righteous remnant, and maybe the prophet is rejoicing over that. I'm sure he is. But we are going to see the response here. The response is in the God of his salvation, and there's a response for us as well. Who are you in Christ? That's enough to rejoice. Now, that may bring you some hardship, the very fact that you're in Jesus Christ. But that is a reason to rejoice. The prophet rejoiced, and so can you. And the reason, verse 18 and 19. The God of salvation gives strength to his people to endure difficult times. Let's read it. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the hind's feet and makes me walk in high places. Regardless of, again, whatever's going on, the rejoicing is in the God of His salvation. Who is this God and who are you in Him? Who is this God and what, he's, what has He done and what does He do on your behalf? Well, I want to take you to Isaiah 40, 29-31. The Lord God saves you by grace. He sustains you. By grace. The faith given is a faith that endures, but we need, as I said, to exercise it. Here is the God of your salvation. Are you ready? Isaiah 40, 29 and 31. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He is more than a life coach. 
He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Brethren, you may find yourself in situations where you are, quite frankly, weary and seeing what's going on around you. And your faith, no question, will be tested. Just as that promise is yes and amen, I give you this promise. It's yes and amen. You, faith, your faith will be tested. You will be challenged on this side of eternity. And there are things that you will not Understand while they're happening things going on around you that you may not find favorable. And what do you do at those times? The righteous must walk by what? Feelings? No. By their faith. By their God-wrought faith. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And saving faith is a gift that we grow in. So, there may be circumstances in your life In God's providence, He may put you through distinctly to allow your faith to be tested. And why would He do that? Have an answer in 1 Peter, verses 6 and 7. And in this you greatly greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that... There's the purpose clause. So that, why? The proof of your faith. ESV says the tested genuineness of your faith. The authenticity of your faith. Being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're on a journey of faith, whether you like it or not. There's no question. The prophet's journey of faith was his situation. Our journey of faith, there are some similarities, certainly. Now, the reason for rejoicing, we see this poetic language here. He makes my feet like the hind's feet. That's essentially deer's feet. And deer's feet are like claws. And they're a very short-footed animal that can climb very rigid, rocky cliffs. And this is a connotation of stability. The Lord gives you stability, and we are strong and victorious in God's strength as He makes our feet like deer's feet, this poetic language. In any and every circumstance, there is victory. We sometimes don't walk in this victory, but there is victories. Through the instabilities of life, changing economies, situations, health situations, God gives you your stability. He's the only stability you have, by the way. It's the only stability I have. Changing governments, changing times. I will rejoice in the Lord God, my strength. Situations that are bad. I will rejoice in the Lord God, my strength. Easy to say, but over time, the Lord gives you this, and we must exercise this. Now, he makes me walk in high places, as we see in verse 19. And God's strength The Christian rises above circumstances. And Paul would often compare the Christian reality to a race, right? We hear that quite a bit. And on this race, there are some times when it may appear there's an obstacle course within this race. There are some times that we have to jump over some obstacles and jump over some hurdles. You've all seen what an obstacle course is, right? Now... The phrase here of this hind's feet and makes me walk on high places, going back to the deer, the deer can jump somewhere in the excess of eight feet. So the Lord God enables us to jump over these hurdles in his strength. In God's providence, we will be put in these positions like the prophet. There's nothing he could do but trust and obey and walk in his faith. And God will strengthen us through these situations. It's a place of recognition, and we see the reason is the Lord God is our strength. The Lord God is your strength. I think of Paul 
in Philippians chapter 4. We looked at it in Sunday, we'll get there in Sunday school. Where is Paul in that chapter? He's under house arrest. Right? And in chapter 4, he finds himself, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now, in verse 11, that's a theme throughout the book, by the way, is rejoicing. What is he rejoicing about? Now that I speak from want, I'm in verse 11, chapter 4, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord God, Jesus Christ, was Paul's strength. Is Jesus Christ your strength? Do you trust in God's promises? This is a reason for rejoicing in the God of your salvation. As the psalm concludes, we see the journey. The prophet was worried, and this is basically a worship here. It's like a psalm. From worry to worship. I'm reminded of David as well. A man at times that also struggled and cried out to the Lord, Lord, you got to do something, Lord. God has his time. God has his ways. But the righteous shall walk by faith. Now, we're seeing this faith that rejoices as this letter ends on a tremendous high note. Understand the reason for this. Prophet comes to a realization of who God is, what God has done, Come to the realization, Christian, of who God is, what He's done on your behalf, regardless of what you see. This is more than having a state of mind of seeing the glass half full. It's certainly not the power of positive thinking. It's not looking on the bright side of things as the prophets say, oh well, we're under judgment, and eh, what are you going to do? No, that's not it. This is much deeper. This is not a credulity. Uh, things are going haywire, and I'll just hum to myself and sing. No, this is something that there is a faith here. That he understands the reason for this faith that rejoices. For us here today, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's all it'll ever be, by the way. I pray prosperity over all of you, and health over all of you, and all that. But the faith that rejoices, rejoices in the midst of all circumstances, just like Paul. Understand, change will come. Change has come. Things are different than they used to be. Change has come. Change came to the prophet externally in Judah. That was change. It wasn't a better change, more than likely. Change came to the prophet internally. He changed. He went from the worry to worship. He went from that beginning of questioning God to this trust and rejoicing. But you know what never changes? No, it doesn't change the God of your salvation. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13.5, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christian, what eats up your joy? Is it fear? Is it worry? Skepticism, a lack of trust. It's very possible. And when these things are, are operating in us, it's, like, it's almost like termites eating up wood. And we see the damage, and they're eating and eating and eating. But they typically don't destroy the foundation. They just eat, and they have some damage. But we have to understand something. Your faith will remain. Whether you exercise it or not is something different. Because Jesus Christ is the author of and finisher of your faith. Now you hear this message, you see the prophet, you, you relate to him in many ways, but you can simply say, gee, I'm just not there. How do you get there in the midst of these difficulties? Well, we take a lot from this book. There's a lot you can take, but the prophet remembered God's goodness in the past, and when you have a chance, you read chapter 3. And God was worthy of his praise 
and God was worthy of his trust. And he simply had to come to a place of acceptance. Well, there was not much he can do. Listen, let me tell you something. What we could change in this world, we should change. Don't be one of these people that said, oh, you know, it's all going, going nowhere. Let's just step back and no. Change what you can change. But there are a lot that you can't change and you will learn to trust. You will wait on the Lord. And though we did not understand, he had to walk in this steadfast reliance on God. You see, Walk by faith, not by sight, right? We could say that, just throw that out constantly. That's not a slogan. This steadfast reliance, God willing, becomes a way of life for all of us. Understand what you don't understand. In spite of it all, Romans 8.28, the always the default position, but understand it. And read the rest of Romans after that. God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, and for those who are called according to His purposes. I'm not exactly sure how He does that. I don't need to know. I trust and obey. Now, today's example of faith, we see this man Habakkuk, maybe for some of you, it's really your first experience in this book. But there's someone else who you may recognize that really was a man of faith, and that was Abraham. By faith, Abraham waited patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises. See that in Hebrews 6.15. I want to read you a famous passage in a great chapter of faith, chapter 11. Hebrews 11, 8-10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, hairs with him of the same promises. You ready? For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Paul gives insight to this walking by faith, not by sight as well. 2 Corinthians 4.18 As we look not on the things that are seen but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you have a saving faith, this applies to you. Now, I was challenged when I put this all together. Because let's be truthful. How much of my faith relies in circumstances? Is dependent on physical health, blessings, monetary blessings, stability. I like comfort. If I had my way, we go back to what used to be in America. I like the comfort. Regardless of it, though, after coming to this place, I must exercise this truth, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, if you are in Christ, and because you are in Christ, in this world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What does it mean? The world does not have dominion on you. The spirit of this age does not have dominion on you. Christ has dominion over you. We must see something because the ups and downs that will occur, and we don't know what we're going to see in the the days ahead. There may be ups, there may be downs, there may be revival, there may be recession, I don't know. But we have to understand one thing that John writes in 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God, Christian, you, if you're born of God, everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is? is the Son of God. Do you believe? Do you trust in? Do you adhere to? Have you laid down your life for His life? Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born again? If so, you overcome the world. If not, you do not. And there's no reason to have this joy. Now, there are many questions. Let's talk about our country for a moment. What happens? 
We understand that nations are raised up and torn down by the sovereign God. And there is sowing and reaping and God's consequential judgment. And no one will escape judgment. All will be judged over a course of time. Let's pray for our country. Let's just not say it's, it's gone. No. Let's pray for our country. In mercy, remember wrath. May God bless America. Let's pray that. Let's hold fast to this passage today, going forth, regardless of what happens externally. We talk about circumstances, what we see, when we see some chaos out there. We see lawlessness abound. Our joy does not have to be affected by external circumstances. We have a faith that can rejoice despite of the, the darkness of this world. We must understand another important principle as we look to the future. Philippians 3.20, this world is not a home. Now I'm about changing what is in our jurisdiction to change. If we get involved in the local communities, in the school boards and things of that nature, politics, quite frankly, Change what we can change. We are salt. We are light. But if our hope and our faith and our joy is in a country, we're missing the mark. I don't have an escapist mentality, I assure you. But I do long, as Abraham longed for. And Christian, you probably long for this as well. I long for the city whose builder and maker is God. While some trust in chariots, some in horses, we will trust in the name of the Lord, our gods, our God. Now, while judgment came to Judah because they broke covenant stipulations, judgment came to Israel because they broke covenant stipulations. What Israel failed to do, what Judah failed to do, what I failed to do, what you failed to do, one did not. Jesus Christ kept the law on your behalf. He who knew no sin was made sin on your behalf. And you know why? So that we may become the righteousness of God. Remember that during communion. Now Jesus Christ gives this saving faith. Are you saved today? Are you saved? What do you say? If you are, what are you saved from? If you're not, what are you not saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God. The penalty of sin for eternal separation. Now, maybe you have a better life since you've come to Christ. I know I do. Very often that is the case in the existential realm on this side of eternity. Praise God. But understand what we're saved from. The penalty and the wage of sin, which is death. Do you have salvation? Salvation comes from the gospel. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through Him. That is the good news. That Jesus Christ came from eternity to past, past in the Incarnation, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. The good news. Here's the bad news. I'm reading from John 3.16. I'm going to read now the bad news from verse 19. Whoever does not believe is condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned. This is God's Word. Is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son. Now I talk to people about this. Every now and then I get answers that, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get there. I've heard this before. You can't cross that bridge when you get there. you got to cross that bridge today if, in fact, that's you. Come to Jesus Christ today. Now some closing thoughts. How strong is your faith. Your faith will be tested. You are a work in progress in your sanctification, so is your faith. Your faith is a work in progress. And you are learning. You are learning to exercise faith. 
And getting to this place of faith that rejoices comes over time, like I've told you. Don't miss that, because you may not be in the spot where the prophet is today. He didn't get this. Chapter 1, he was in a different place by the time he got to chapter 3. As human beings, there is a time to rejoice and there is a time to mourn. But it comes in God's providence over you. God is sovereignly keeping you. He's looking out for you. Don't miss that. And you will experience situations, again, that will test the faith and it will challenge you. And you will learn these lessons over time that this is not easy. Okay? This is a challenging book to see where this prophet got and to see where we must go. But may God work in us. May we leave today that regardless of what goes on in the next 20 years, the next 10 minutes, the next 500 years, may we rejoice in the God of our salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks, Lord. We give thanks, Lord, because you have made us more than we could ever be. You've given us eternal life. Father God, the worst for us is over. The worst is over, Lord. Yet shall we rejoice in the God of our salvation. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for your glory, for the glory of God alone. This is reason to rejoice. And the world has no dominion over us. Satan has no dominion over us. And the flesh, the flesh has no dominion over us. But Christ Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, has dominion over his people. The sovereign God of the universe. Father God, I pray on behalf of Tauntonville, the Evangelical Free Church. Father God, may you increase this faith. May you pour out your faith upon this congregation, Lord. May we walk and nurture and be matured in this faith on behalf of our country, Lord. Father God, oh Lord, I know we don't deserve it, but be merciful unto us, Lord. Be merciful to us. Pour out your spirit. Change the course of America, Lord, if you're so pleased to do this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.